Welcome to the Language Mastery Show, a weekly podcast bringing you expert tips for getting fluent anywhere in the world. I'm your host, John Fotheringham. For show notes, visit languagemastery.com forward slash show. Elena Motonono is a business coach, author, and a former English teacher who helps overwhelmed online language teachers work less but make more while better serving students along the way. In this conversation, we discuss why she first got into languages, why she stopped doing one-on-one language classes, the most common mistakes language teachers make, and how to create a profitable, sustainable, and rewarding teaching business. To learn more about Elena's coaching, books, Smart Teachers Library Community, and online teacher summit, visit her website at elenamutnono.com. That's E-L-E-N-A-M-U-T. O-N-O-N-O dot com. All right. Enjoy my conversation with Elena. All right. Well, Elena, thanks so much for joining me on the Language Mastery Show today. To kick things off, tell us a little bit about your language learning origin story and how that then led to creating your language teaching empire. But let's go back Mm. to the beginning first. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to the idea of an empire. That's an interesting subject to explore. But John, thanks for having me, and I'm really glad to be here. I started learning languages at the age of 15. Actually, that's when I got really serious about English. I realized that that's what I want to do for a living. To me, a different language felt like this magic, you know, being able to speak another language with a human from another part of the world. And it still feels this way, even now as I'm learning new languages or revising the ones that I haven't um, been speaking for a while. But from the very beginning, it was this really big mystery. And English, I was first introduced at school. And then I had this amazing private teacher. And uh, I was taking classes um, in the afternoon. It was really intensive. And uh, she uh, I'm from Ukraine originally, and uh, she taught at a university. Um, so we had these private one-to-one classes. And in the beginning, I felt like I am never going to speak this language. It is so overwhelming. It is so much. And I just don't know how people can ever speak any language other than their mother tongue, which is kind of ironic, but it helped me to understand people's pain of overwhelm when they start anything, not just language learning, but also learning any other skill and starting a business. It feels overwhelming in the beginning. It feels like you are never going to do it. And then you just get into it and stick with it and here we are. I'm speaking English. <laughs> yes, you? very, very well, I might add. Thank you. Yeah, wow. So 15 years old, you mm. caught the the bug, as I mm. like to put it. That's pretty early, I think, for a lot of people to have that kind of clarity on what you want to do in your life. Yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who still don't know what they want to do with their right, lives. So, right. so that's kind of, uh, well, you said magical earlier about mm. languages, but that's kind of magical in terms of your career trajectory. I, I think I, I always wanted to teach. That is one thing that I uh, knew very early on. I am fourth generation teacher. So I felt like I really loved that. I enjoyed writing as well in, in Russian and then eventually in English. And 
everything that had to do with languages and arts was really appealing to me. And one of the reasons I think is because I just found it so liberating to know that you don't have to know the answers. Whatever answer you have when you're learning a language or you're reading or writing, whatever you have in your heart, you can share and it has the right answer. It's not like math where you only have one answer, right? right. And I just felt it's so liberating that you can express yourself and you can, I mean, there are rules obviously, but you know, once you get deeper, there is no like one proven end goal result at after a certain time. So mm-hmm. I just felt that arts really suited my personality. Also, where I come from, I think there's a lot of societal pressure to know very early and to mature very early and to know very early what you want to be. Mm-hmm. And I think it just fits my personality. Like I enjoy clarity and I enjoy finding focus. And I think when I work with other teachers, that's what draws them to me, Uh, especially when they don't know what they want or they need more clarifying questions. I think I find my coaching practice now, there's a lot of connection with that type of personality where like, I just, uh, I would like to know. So are you still teaching then as well, or are you just focusing solely now on coaching other teachers? Yes, mainly right now I am coaching and I'm also writing. I have written five books for online language teachers, and I am also maybe just getting started with creative writing. I'm doing some of that in the form of a memoir, and uh, I'm really curious where this will take me. Very cool. Yeah, it's a big difference. I've also kind of made the transition in recent years to start dabbling with fiction, which I've always just written nonfiction. And so it's it's quite an interesting jump. I mean, it's really a a fun, creative challenge. It is. And it's not as easy to write uh, what I find. It's Mm -hmm. not as easy to write fiction or even memoirs, because there is a way to express your feelings that you probably may not express in nonfiction or even copywriting. I mean, Mm -hmm. you do to some extent, but I guess, as Stephen King said, writing is telepathy. So like thought starts in my mind, but it ends in the mind of the reader. And so there's a lot of work that goes into it. But yeah, creative writing is definitely something I enjoy also because I love reading and uh, I always follow my curiosity when it comes to reading as well. So you started off, you got way into English, obviously got fully fluent yourself, then language teaching, and now you're coaching other people. So I know there's a lot of people listening who probably are language learners themselves or maybe thinking about doing something professionally with languages Mm -hmm. in some format. I think language teaching is, you know, obviously a, a very popular yeah. way to go. There's a, there's a huge demand for it. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people assume that that's already saturated, but I honestly, I think there's still yes. more learners than there are teachers. And so Absolutely, still demand yes, for it. I agree. Yes. But it's a matter, I think, of doing it right. So mm-hmm. if somebody is thinking about jumping into online language teaching, Mm. what would be your advice for them, the first few practical steps that they should take? One of the things that, you know, I also follow in my own life is follow your curiosity. There's a place for the saying that is attributed to Buddha, right? When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So when you, I feel like when people are getting ready mentally for a new step in their life, career, business, and if it involves languages, I feel like something will come up 
that will present itself, an opportunity will present itself. And I think following that that path is good to not to get bogged down in details, because once you start reading every single possible article and trying to get things right, as you actually said, like, we need to get it right, you know, there. I think we need to give ourselves permission when we start anything that we probably are not going to do things right, quote unquote, and that's okay. And really, there's no right or wrong way to go about it. But in the beginning, I would probably try and look for opportunities to get more experience um, teaching. So whether people want to get on a bigger platform and see how that works, um, for some people, that's a good way to get started and get their you know feet wet. For me, uh, personally, as I basically, I barely taught on italki or any other platforms before that, there was one uh, called, I don't remember, I think Mingle was one. Hmm. Um, yes, it no longer is in existence. But at the time, uh, there were different platforms. And to me, it felt like I would rather spend my time putting together my blog or creating just a really basic blog or even writing emails to the people I had tutored in the past and asking them if they have or if they know of anybody who needs English lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, to develop for me, a direct relationship. Right. For me, it was of, better right. than a better use of my time mm-hmm. than, for example, trying to go and wait um, on some website until they approve my application and things right. like that. And the time right. it took, you know, up to a month to do that. And I was like, in a month, I can do so much more. And that's why I just chose from the very beginning, maybe because I'm quite impatient or I'm o- an over-functioning person who, who does not know how to deal with anxiety at that time, did not even have any idea. But I really enjoyed, like mm-hmm. when I feel anxious um, in the past, that's how I dealt with it. I need to do more, do more, do more. Mm-hmm. At the time, I would just create, I, I put together my own blog uh, on Blogger and I started putting content out and that was one part of it. But the other part was my tutoring side where I would go to my former uh, clients and I would ask them, do you know anybody? And through word of mouth, I was busy within six months. Now, it took a while to understand how my blog could contribute to my business because mm-hmm. for several years, my blog lived its own separate life and my newsletter as well Mm -hmm. (laughs) and my client work was completely separate and I did not know how to marry Mm -hmm. one and the other and it literally took several years until I learned more about niching Mm -hmm. and more about your target audience and more about what is it that you want to communicate not just putting stuff out there like helpful tips um, that you could pretty much find on Wikipedia anyways. But most of the time I ask teachers to define what it is that they really want at the moment. Sometimes people have a job and what they need is a little bit more practice and confidence in teaching. And that way, if money is not an issue, you can just decide that, okay, two, three hours a week, I'm just going to... Mm -hmm tutor people and I'm not going to charge them a lot or I will charge them just a, a basic amount because I need confidence and practice. Maybe uh, there are times when people say, well, I just really want to be able to uh, switch my jobs within a couple of months. So then the goal is different. The goal is to get as many clients as you can. And that's where you 
lean into your personal network a lot as opposed to trying to go on social media, which is what people sometimes do because social media is really long-term or even starting their own website Mm because that's not going to bring you the return right away. If, however, people say, well, I don't... Right, right. But it's very powerful, but it just it exactly. does take a lot longer yes, to build up. Yes, yes. Yeah. If, however, people feel like, well, I would rather learn more about the industry and start writing and bring traffic through my website, then it's a different problem. That means they're going to keep their job for a while mm-hmm. and they're going to be writing and learning more about copywriting and so forth and attracting uh, the people that they would like to later turn into clients. So it just really depends on where people are. But there is no therefore there is no right way. There's no blueprint that we lean into curiosity. We lean into the messiness of this journey and also open ourselves up uh, for whatever comes our way. And I'm might sound a little woo-woo at this point, but it really is surprising sometimes where we're like, huh, I wonder what if I could learn this language? And then all of a sudden, you know, on YouTube, something pops up and it's like, ooh, something's <laughs> happening here. Or you see an ad that maybe you have seen it so many times, all of a sudden you actually see it and right. you realize, okay, maybe I should check it out. Synchronicity. So, like yes, Carl Jung yes. talks about, yeah. Right, right. So you mentioned niching earlier, and I think that's a super important topic. I mean, that's a whole, that could be a whole podcast mm, in its own Yes, right. that's uh, true. Many podcasts, in fact. Can you talk a little bit more about the importance of choosing a niche mm, as a mm-hmm. language teacher? I mean, really any business or any blog, right. any undertaking, you really need yeah. to ratchet down. Because I think the instinct a lot of us have is, oh, I want to talk about everything. I don't want to focus on one language. I don't want to focus on one single thing. I want to do it all. But I think mm. most of us who have been at this a while know that that is a recipe for yeah. maybe not failure but at least very slow growth. Mm. A lot of times when you decide to do too many things or you feel like, oh, I want to try out different things and you don't stick with anything, then you don't stick with anything for too long. And so then even if you have a good idea, like you don't know which one will really work because you're like, you know, on Monday, you're writing about grammar. On Wednesday, you're writing about vocabulary. On Friday, something else. And I'm speaking from my experience because that's exactly the path that I took in the beginning with blogging. I had no idea what I was doing and where I was going. So I guess we all know what it's like. But there's different ways to think about niching. And I know sometimes people will read books or watch webinars, and there's just different ways to look at it. For me, when I think about niching, and I have actually a workshop called Dare to be Different (laughs) on that, but in the workshop, we do this exercise where I uh, draw a niche in a workbook, like a, a wall niche, you know, and, uh, and, or you can do it any other way. But the idea is put whatever you want in there so that it reflects you. And we also during the workshop, look at different kind of, you know, architectural niches in, in our houses, apartments, and they are never the same. They never look the same. And moreover, you can look at it and you can tell something about the person who is the owner of this house. Yeah, I'm looking right now. I'm drawn immediately to the bookshelves behind you. <laughs> yes. yes, for those that are listening and not seeing this, yeah, I have two bookshelves behind me. There used to be many more. I've, uh, I don't know if you know Marie Kondo's work, but yes. you know the, the life-changing magic of tidying up. I've gone through that process three or four mm. times, and this is what remains. So, wow, this yeah. is this is impressive. I don't I'm think I will a book, ever book addict. 
Right. I will. I don't think I will ever go through with that, with her concept as regards to my books. Um, it's hard. It was very hard. Yes. <laughs> so, but uh, I do, I am a little choosy about which books say, but what I'm saying is like your bookshelves tell me something about you already. And I have bookshelves and maybe when uh, people will look at them, they can make certain conclusions about what I like, what I don't like. They can tell something about me. So niche is something like that. Sometimes people say like, well, what's in demand? You know, well, test preparation is in demand. Mm-hmm. Let's just make this and this is the hit and let's do that. And that's one way Mm-hmm. Of, of doing that. And I know a lot of people have done it. However, I believe that when you're choosing something for your business, you want to choose something that you really enjoy doing because right. invariably there will be really difficult times. And if you don't have those roots in, I really, really enjoy doing this, it will be hard to persevere. And uh, it's it's easy to burn out at that point. Right. So, it's like yes. there's a tension between finding that Venn diagram of mm-hmm. overlap between yes. what you're passionate about, what other people want to learn yes. about and are willing mm-hmm. to pay for, and what you have the stain power to stick with mm-hmm. long yep. enough to both build your business, build an audience, you know, those three concentric circles have to overlap. And I think so often people just choose one of those. You know, I've definitely done that. I'm like, oh, I want to write about this. Mm -hmm. And then there's nobody there. (laughs) You just hear, you see the, uh, you know, tumbleweeds roll by and you hear the the wind blowing. And then other times it's okay, this thing is popular, but Mm. I'm not that interested in it. It's not fun to me. And then there's the other one, which is like, okay, I've found those two, but it's not something people are willing to invest in. Mm -hmm. I think it takes time and also a lot of mindset work too, because sometimes we come into the online language world with our own preconceived ideas. So for example, one of those will be, you know, only people that are in business are willing to invest in, you know, English classes, for example. But then we forget that there's a huge number of people that wants to learn language just for their own pleasure. And I have worked with online language teachers, for example, teachers of Italian or teachers of French. And not many people are learning French or Italian Uh, let's say, just because they need it for business. A lot of people are learning because they have a house in France and and they want to be able to speak with their neighbors Mm -hmm. and things like that. So it's just uh, looking at our preconceived ideas when we come into the uh, language teaching environment and asking ourselves, well, is it really true that everybody wants business English? Or is it really true that everybody wants to take a test? You know, after, you know, I took my share of tests in English and uh, in German later at college, my main motivation was no longer, well, I just, I just want to get a test. Like I wanted to get to a level of learning language, a higher level of language mastery without the pressure of taking the test. I want to be able to read in the original. I want to be able to write creatively in a foreign language. I wanted to be able to dive more into the culture. And it was important to me, but it did not probably have the same utilitarian capacity that learning to get a certificate would give me. But I would not invest into something that gives me a certificate, I would rather invest into something that gives me pleasure. So so when we come with this assumption that, oh, you know, nobody's buying because everybody wants certificates, we need to ask ourselves, is it really true? Because it's not always 
the mm-hmm. same way. And probably similarly, there's limiting beliefs. I know a lot of people have money scripts, things about money. Right. You know, oh, no one's going to pay more than X yes. amount of dollars per hour per tutoring. That's you know, they only pay $10 or whatever, because that's what they have mm-hmm. on iTalking. They've seen right. And I know, I'm sure you've worked with many. Oh, yeah teachers who can fetch, I don't mm-hmm. know, what, what would you say is the average range of your clients of an hourly rate? If you I know that teachers may start at, you know, 10, 15, the typical italki rate, but they go to 50 and more. And another reason is because we challenge the idea of charging per hour. So that's another way of like my messaging and my my work is about helping teachers to work smarter. And so we all constantly ask ourselves, is teaching one-to-one really the most effective way of teaching a language? What it boils down to, I think I learned that after I had my children was, first of all, I could no longer teach one-to-one because I could not maintain sustainably five to seven hour teaching schedule. And at the same time, I found that some of my students were, you know, as a student too myself, it was really hard to find that time where I could just sit in front of the screen and learn. So I felt more drawn to less structured packages of language learning and that that had more that gave me more freedom still gave me enough guidance and clarity so I know where I'm moving but at the same time gave me enough space to do things at my own pace and uh, that is one thing that I'm currently teaching and and coaching the teachers that I work with to work in a way that is not necessarily tied to an hour Mm-hmm. Um, to per hour basis. So somebody that, for example, is teaching speaking to an intermediate student may teach it through four lessons a month, or they may teach it through no lessons a month and just a self-guided catalog or you mm-hmm. know workbook with ongoing support by voice chats. And in the end, it's more flexible for the student. The student takes more responsibility for their success and the teacher feels less restricted and they feel like they don't need to do as much handholding, which in the end is the whole purpose of learning. People are not hiring you to see your beautiful PowerPoints or to see your face for an hour. Most of the time, people hire you to get a result and they trust that you with your expertise are able to guide them. So yeah, so that's how we change that per hour basis. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, when teachers go from four classes a month to no classes a month at the same rate, and they spend much less time per student, and the student becomes more responsible and self-motivated, then this is a big goal accomplished. And there's less stress, and it gives more space for the teacher to do the things that they always struggle to do, like create content or Mm -hmm. even create materials and sell materials. Usually teachers are so like overwhelmed with their one-to-one classes. There is no space in the brain to really even think about, think beyond what can I do beyond that? So they put together a quick product that may or may not even work because you're working on it on the fringes of your schedule. And so there's not much thought that goes into it. And as a result, you won't get as much of a response and marketing becomes really overwhelming. But when you create the space to be creative and when you allow your clients to take ownership of their own language learning 
journey. I think uh, the results are really, like you're saying, win-win for everybody. So instead of having just uh, an hourly rate, you know, having bundles, mm-hmm. yeah. um, offering other materials you mentioned, what are some examples of those kind of things? Are we talking yeah. online courses? Are we talking eBooks? Like what, mm-hmm. what's the landscape yeah. look like for that? Yeah. So I usually, I like to call them programs to differentiate between the bundle of classes. That's how like the vocabulary and uh, self-guided courses altogether, because those have maybe less support than programs do. And programs, usually you enroll people for like four weeks or three or four weeks at a time. And people are working on a specific subject. And usually they're different things. Like, you know, there I've got teachers that have French speaking programs, but they're always like with their own little twist, either they're around movies or so back to niching again. Right, exactly. Right. Or they're about mindfulness or journaling. Maybe they are, you know, around Italian and cooking and traveling and journaling through this experience. And maybe they're just creative writing programs. And when you do such programs for three or four weeks at a time, it's very easy to put together because you don't have to create videos All you need to do is put together your assignments and get your clients situated and ready to go and then give them feedback when they send you, for example, either written assignments through Google Doc or oral assignments through voice chats, Mm -hmm. Voxer, whatever. Most of the time, most of the teachers that I work with, their first lesson to learn is not to overwhelm their clients because that's super demotivating. And that's something we don't realize as teachers. We feel like, okay, I just want to give you everything. But uh, the more you give, the less motivation you get from your clients. And that's usually the teachers are the ones, ironically, who are killing this motivation right. by over-delivering. Yeah, it's totally understandable because you think, mm. I want to give them everything I can to support right. them. I want right. to demonstrate value. I think yeah. especially for newer yeah. teachers and entrepreneurs, there's this fear that I have to prove that they're getting yes. their money's worth. So I right. got to just right. Right. bombard them with all this stuff. Yes. I'm definitely guilty of that. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, a lot of teachers that I work with and usually, you know, as a coach, I try to let them discover that on their own. So, and usually the very first program is like, oh man, I just gave so much materials. And so then they, through the process of reflection, then they start uh, making it less and less while they're still charging the same amount. So there's a lot of mindset work, realizing that people are not really paying me with all this materials, all right. this shebang that I can It's not a Costco them. model, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> Think about yes. this is boutique, you know. Right, a, exactly. A, you yeah, walk in and store. people just give you, yeah, yeah, something very, very specific. And yes, and um, as you run it multiple times, then you can later develop this process into a self-study course, mm-hmm. or maybe you can create a workbook based mm-hmm. off of it, or maybe you can do a series of audio lessons and make a you know a short audio book or maybe a mini course or whatever. So there are lots of options, and I like to call this uh, the Matroshka doll. The right. Two levels of the same thing. So, for example, if your niche is focusing on, you know, mindfulness, then you have the tiny little doll, and that's your little workbook that people can download for free. And then, oh, they like the workbook. Then the next thing is, you know, you have journals, plus you have, you know, a series of meditation that you can listen to. You can practice your language, but you can also write. So that cost something. And then we can work together, you know, in a format of a course or a program 
And if you want one-to-one, then it's easier for you at that point to charge higher fees for one-to-one because you realize that's your time. And by then, after people have run programs and have not been tied to a specific time and specific place, which is in front of your computer, people feel a lot more at ease about increasing their rates because they know that that's that's what they're charging for, their time, and it's worth something. And it's not scalable. I mean, right, their, right, their time exactly. is finite yes. and it's especially one-to-one. I mean, yeah. that hour is with one person, yeah. Yes, whereas exactly. that ebook can be mm-hmm. sent to every yes, person on multiple. the planet, you know, potentially. Exactly, yes. That's really interesting. It kind of inverts, I think, the order of operations that probably a lot of online teachers mm-hmm. traditionally took, mm-hmm. which is start yeah. with the one-on-one. Right, right. And then when you burn out <laughs> and start to burn <laughs> yes. out, you try to move away from that, right? To right, a, right. To more of like a content marketing-based approach. Right. Or, and I've done that, and uh, and I know that it was very difficult to do that um, because you're not in that space to create when you're burned out, no. right? And then you're quickly trying to create something, and then you create stuff that is not really working because you mm. hadn't had the time to sit there and think about, okay, what is what is my goal here? What do I want to do? You know, mm. what change do I seek to make? Is Seth Godin's favorite mm-hmm. phrase, right, for marketing? Is really all marketing is change. Making. But if we do right. not have that space to sit there and think about, okay, what am I trying to create? Then we'll just put something out there, as I usually call, like throwing crumbs to to right. dogs. Like, and so then, of course, people are like, well, why is nobody buying? Well, right. because there is this feeling that you are actually putting into this product. There's like, right. oh, I'm just trying to get something, and, and of course, that's not authentic. But if you create something like that, or if you actually focus on giving yourself more space, then in the end, whatever comes out, you have enough time to actually create stuff. And mm-hmm. creativity really needs the space. Yeah, I would also add to that that having been guilty of this myself many times of sitting alone, tinkering and building this thing that you think people want and then putting it out there yeah. without actually talking to people and finding That's out true. what they actually want. Yeah. And so if you're a teacher, talk to mm. your students, ask yeah. them, survey them, have mm. one on, have customer conversations, find out what do they really want? What are they really mm. struggling with? Because mm. it may be different from what you assume that they yeah. want. And then another thing too, it helps to not just, uh, interview everybody but to interview people that you have had the most success with right because these are likely your ideal clients and you want more people like that you know back when I first started teaching online I felt like there's no way that I can only work with people that I love (laughs) and yes hello it's possible but it does take some time to realize who you really enjoy working with and give yourself permission to let go of people that you're not enjoying to work with. And it's really interesting because for me, it was a huge mindset shift because where I come from, at least culturally, the evidence of your expertise that you are able to help everyone. Mm. And that moment when I realized not only can I not help everyone? I, I don't want to help everyone. There are some people yeah. that I just, they're just draining. Right. And just to let go of that thought and still say, I can still help people. I still can give valuable advice to people or valuable guidance when it comes to language teaching and not have to teach everybody and change everybody. And I'm still qualified (laughs) as a a legit professional. Yeah, that was a, for me, it was a huge mindset shift. I mean, back to niching. Yeah. Part of that niching process, right, is deciding who you're not going to serve. Right. 
the ability to say no. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Which is again scary and it's mm. difficult and painful. But mm. what's that quote? There's no guaranteed recipe for happiness, but there is one guaranteed recipe for unhappiness, which is trying to please everybody. Oh, I don't wow, remember that's the attribution. Beautiful. But so you mentioned earlier about social media and how people often will go there thinking that that'll be mm. their saving grace to find clients. I have a very ambivalent feeling about social media. I actually don't use social media anymore. I quit completely a couple mm. of years ago and completely pulled the plug on it for a number of reasons. I just, I have kind of moral qualms, but I know it can be part of a healthy balanced breakfast, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> if you do it right. So if somebody is on social media and they want to integrate that into their teaching business, how would you recommend using it? And how would you recommend not using it? Yeah, this is a very good question. Well, first of all, uh, kudos to you for pulling the plug on social media. That's uh, that took a lot of courage. <laughs> it Honestly, it was probably easier than trying to use it in a better way. For me, right. I, I tend to be all in or all out on things. Yeah. And that's the first question I always ask um, teachers when they're like, oh, I just hate social media, I, you know, but I know I need it for my online business. And I always tell them, no, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> So I said, you One can... of those assumptions to question, right? Right, right. exactly. Yeah. The only way that you are going to be successful on any social media, if you choose social media, is if you enjoy being there. Because otherwise, nobody wants your martyrdom on Instagram or TikTok um, if, you, if you hate that. And because you will transfer that kind of energy and feeling and you will not be able to connect with people, which is the only reason to go on social media is to be able to connect and quickly build connections with people that you wouldn't otherwise or it would take you longer to reach sure. them by email or in other ways. But I always ask them, is that something you really, really want to do? And if people really enjoy using uh, social media, then I ask them, well, what, which one? <laughs> because you can't Niche go again, everywhere. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. So then we say no to everybody else or everything else, but that one that you really enjoy using. And I have had experience on all social media platforms, I think, except TikTok. But, you know, in the beginning, I felt like I had to be everywhere. And it was exhausting. I think I had the most uh, success on Facebook, a little bit on LinkedIn in the beginning when they had groups. Um, that was very helpful. And that's what I always recommend people to use their social media as a tool to connect with others. So if it's LinkedIn, try to comment on other people's posts. There's, I think, on LinkedIn now the function of you know, introducing yourself. You can do that. And it's it doesn't look weird on LinkedIn, for example. With Facebook, it's a little different. You want to learn the language of social media before you go in there. So what is okay, not okay. So with Facebook, what I found very helpful, and I still think it's really helpful, is Facebook groups, where you can go to the groups where your target audience is and ask questions. And sometimes people are like, well, I can't ask questions about my product. You never ask questions about your product. Like, for example, I worked with a client that wanted to start a business that helped people read in a foreign language. And so instead of um, going into all those noisy groups with English students, she went into groups where people enjoyed reading. And then she started asking questions like, when you read, what questions do you have or what challenges do you have? And then people started engaging. And that's how she was able to build a tiny group of her 
own Mm -hmm. where people joined her group and then they started free book clubs and that developed into programs and a community. So you ask yourself what you do with Instagram. One thing, because I had a, a very good Facebook group for online language teachers for a number of years, and then I switched to Instagram. And the only reason was I really was curious about visual storytelling. And that's kind of like really a weird way to do it. But I was curious about how building up visual storytelling in your posts is going to build connections that will later translate into a stronger community, more engagement, and of course, sales and all that. But I was very curious and and I really wanted to put some pictures out there (laughs) and like track my own stories and things I was learning. And sure enough, it proved for me the most successful way of all of my endeavors on social media. But also along with that, I set my own boundaries, like how long am I willing to spend on social media per day? Also giving myself permission to not sell on social media, Uh, invite people to join my newsletter, yes. Share my content with them, yes. Engage in comments and in direct messaging, yes but not necessarily sell or expect that somebody will buy. So I think I went on Instagram already a mature <laughs> like <laughs> business owner with very few expectations. And so I have the most fulfilling and rewarding time on Instagram so far. But I can totally see how people may choose not to use social media. And I don't think this is really a critical. But if you're starting on social media, start by engaging with other people and promoting other people, sharing other people's content, engaging in other people's direct messages. So at some point, <laughs> was ready to, to write this blog post, I something like, I sell my coaching by talking about buckwheat on social media. But I mean, <laughs> the idea behind that is the reason you sell is because other than the aggressive sales pitches that, you know, some people choose, it's not my thing. But for me, the reason I sell is because people feel like they know me and they can trust me. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. That. Yes, exactly. And so for me, the way it works is I share a little bit of my life and Mm -hmm. people see themselves in it, particularly when I eat buckwheat, as it happens, I have a lot (laughs) of people saying, oh, we love buckwheat as well. And lots of people from Eastern Europe that have now immigrated. There's like this big story of where do you buy buckwheat? But anyway, one of the things that that builds that kind of trust, which is kind of weird, you are selling coaching, but you are sharing a little bit of your life that has nothing to do with it. And yet it builds trust Mm -hmm. that then gives people this safety or the feeling of safety that you're not going to lie to them when you create a course and you invite them to join. And that you're a person, you're not a business, you're a person. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You have business offerings, but Right. You also like the buckwheat. Yes. Yes. Buckwheat's exactly. good. Hey, I, <laughs> my wife actually lived in Ukraine for about a year oh. and she will often make buckwheat pancakes and things. Oh, like yes. that. so it's good stuff. It is. And it's gluten-free. So anybody out there who's, absolutely. who can't, can't do it. Yeah. Don't be fooled by the wheat part of buckwheat. Wheat, is, yes. Is absolutely a misnomer. Not, yes. So kind of to wrap up conversation here, a few mm. uh, quick questions for you. Number one, what have you changed your mind about, if anything, mm. uh, when it comes to either language learning or language teaching? For me, personally, as a Mm -hmm. person who probably loves structure, (laughs) I have learned in the past 
years of learning languages and also running a business is to trust my intuition more and follow my curiosity and not expect too many things too soon, but rather enjoy the journey for real. Sometimes we say this cliche, oh, enjoy the journey, but then, oh man, I really wish I was somewhere else on this, you know, I want to pursue this destination, but really enjoy the journey. But the curiosity is what really fuels it for me. There was one time, like this past summer, I was sitting around and now I'm married to a Zimbabwean and he speaks Shona. And I mean, I heard him speak so many times and to the kids as, as well. And I just just was never, I just felt like, oh, I can never do, you know, this overwhelm. Oh, it's so much. And then I just got really curious, not necessarily about the language, but about the books. Like, are there any contemporary Zimbabwean authors that write in English? And sure enough, there's a whole bunch. So I bought like eight books and decided to go through them. And then as I was going through them, reading their novels about Zimbabwe, and then I was like, I really am curious about the language. And so I got into the language and very unorthodox for me, you know, a person who loves structure. Like I just allowed myself to just embrace this messiness and mm-hmm. and to go with curiosity. And it's incredible. That's beautiful. So final words of encouragement. If somebody is on the fence or they're, they've been thinking about launching a, a business in, in language teaching, but they're stuck, they're afraid, they don't know where mm-hmm. to start, what would you tell this person to help get them going? Wow, this is such a big one, but uh, thank you for inviting me and letting me share some of my thoughts about this. But I would probably ask this person t- to start thinking about one small thing that they can do today that will help them get closer to their goal. And if language teaching or running a a language teaching business is something that they really want to do, start by creating your own dream board. Why is it that you are drawn to it? Uh, With my clients, we, we doodle this My Ideal Week pages, and I even have one stuck to my wall. What do I want to do? What do I see myself doing in my ideal week? And make it visual for yourself and then ask yourself, okay, how can my business that I'm about to start, how can it help me achieve these things? So that's something to have in front of you. But like deciding on a small thing that you can do, whether it is to write to your friends and say, I would like to have a couple of clients. And that's going to be scary. But That's something that's one tiny step that as you make that scary step, you will learn that it's not always going to be as scary. Mm -hmm. And then you will learn something through the process and then say, okay, well, now I feel really confident about Mm -hmm. this. What is my next step? Also, maybe finding a community of people or finding the resources that keep you motivated, whether it's a blog, maybe a YouTube channel. Maybe you find some people that you can follow on social media or Facebook groups where you can ask questions. Most important thing is to find a place that makes you feel good. There are so many times when I remember watching YouTube videos and feeling like, oh, I'll never be able to do X, Y, Z because some person was making me feel small and not legit. Mm -hmm. So find somebody, some content or some community, some Facebook group that makes you feel heard and seen and safe to ask your questions and to report back about your journey and stay there. And I'm sure you will find what your next steps are. To make it personal here, 
you said you have something on your wall. Is there anything in your dream board here dream of, board? of aspiration that is coming next that you can share with us? Wow, this is really interesting. So that's what it looks oh, like. Nice. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes, um, I was just looking at it this morning and I thought is one of the things here is creativity. Is um, That's one of the reasons why I run this business is to connect with my creative self. But sometimes a lot of my creativity goes into business and very little mm -hmm. to outside of business. And I do music and I do writing, you know, and so I would like to do more of that. Like I would like to dance and I would like to paint, maybe to work with clay, you know, and put some of those things in, into place. So I was actually looking at this this morning. So see, hey, <laughs> you're bringing this up. So <laughs> that's another reminder. Yeah, more synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Well, Elena, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your tips. And mm -hmm. I will put links to your site and resources in the show notes. Good luck on the painting and the sculpting and the dancing. <laughs> thank Keep you, us John. Posted. Thank right. you. Lovely talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Language Mastery Show. Again, you can find show notes at languagemastery.com forward slash show. Before you continue on with your day, take a quick moment to choose one small tip or takeaway from today's episode to apply in your life. Listening to podcasts is a great first step, but the real magic only happens when you translate information into action. Also, if you want to help keep this show going, there are three key things you can do to help. Number one, leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you use to listen to podcasts. Number two, join my free newsletter called Language Mastery Monday, in which you get weekly tips, tools, and resources for building an effective language immersion environment anywhere in the world. And number three, if you're learning Japanese or Mandarin Chinese, check out my detailed immersion guides called Master Japanese and Master Mandarin. Both provide step-by-step -step instructions for how to immerse yourself in Japanese or Chinese right where you are. Learn more at JapaneseMastery.com and ChineseMastery.com. And you can use the code SHOW, that's S-H-O-W, to get 25% off either guide. All right, we'll see you next week for another episode of the Language Mastery Show. Until then, happy learning. <laughs>